that you had a tremendous Thanksgiving. I hope that it was a great time. How many of you would say that you ate more than you should eat? Raise your hand. Do you know they say the average person gains seven pounds during the holidays? which is bad news for me because I think I gained seven pounds at Thanksgiving. And it was kind of a challenge, I'll tell you why. Well, first of all, let me say this. Thank you for braving the storm, right? We, we appreciate that you made it out, and I believe that God has a message for you. But our Thanksgiving was so unique this year. In the middle of the night on Wednesday night, Kristen, uh, who, who never seems to have something like this happen, uh, let's just say that she was very, very sick and, and vomited many, 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 many times over the next 48 hours, and she was our cook. And so we had to punt. My brother Kevin stepped in. He was a trooper, and he, we, we had 17 people at the house, and, and it was just a, a madhouse, and I'm a great uncle twice now, and my daughter did a gender reveal. I'm having a granddaughter. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Her name is going to be Elizabeth K. Marcotte and they will call her Ellie, and so it's exciting for me, but my brother stepped in, he did the cooking, part of the turkey was raw when he was cutting it up, so he had to put it back in, but everything came together, and we still had a great meal, and after all, it's not just about the turkey, it's about the things that God has done for us, that's just the way that we happen to celebrate, so if you're like me, you're going to have to, to uh, slow down on the food between now and Christmas uh, if I'm only going to gain that seven pounds. And, you know, it's kind of like we don't lose it. You know, it keeps adding up a little bit at a time. Well, before I get started, I want to let you know that you can pick up a card for Angel Tree out in the lobby or, or the foyer there by the orange tent, and we would encourage you to pick up one, two, three, or four of these cards. Take them, and you will find on it, like the card I have in my hand, is to purchase a toy for a girl age tw ages 12 and up. Okay, so we'll take this and other cards, and we'll purchase some gifts. We encourage you. There are some on the white tree out there. There are probably more on the host table. Take as many as you would like, but we need those toys brought back next week. We'll be getting those wrapped, and then we have a system where parents will come to our outreach in Milwaukee, and they'll be able to take those wrapped presents home and give those to their children. So when we've done this in the past, it's made Life Church look like the hero. Aren't we so nice giving you and your kids gifts? This year, the kids won't even be a part of that process, and the parents will look like the heroes. Now, yesterday I received a message, hey, be in prayer for my family. It was a fellow campus pastor, Robert Bell, and he said a number of years ago, my brother was murdered, and now I'm in the hospital with my nephew who was shot today. And so that's where these gifts are going. Okay, so if you wonder what we're partnering with, we're sending these gifts to that environment where these kids are going to be able to have 
some Christmas. And through these cards, we get to say, in spite of the chaos around you, Jesus loves you. Right? That's what we're saying to the parents. Jesus loves you, and we want to help you in this environment. So pick some of those up, and we will see God do some great, great things. Well, today we continue our series, Chasing Carrots, something most of us probably never touched this last week, is a carrot. Uh, no vegetables on, on Thanksgiving. It's all other stuff. I know that I had this, my mom makes this green, or did when she was alive, this green uh, lime cottage cheese, jello, tangerine salad, right? And, and I had so much of it, my brother Kevin said to me, hey, I had no idea that you like cottage cheese so much. And I said, I don't like cottage cheese at all, but I like lemon flavoring, whipped cream, and tangerines. So, you know, that's why I've eaten about a pound of that today. And so uh, something we didn't probably eat much of is carrots. But it's a series highlighting the things that we chase in our lives. And the reality is that we're all chasing something. It may be different for all of us, but everyone is chasing something. Now, we understand theologically and intellectually that as Christ followers, the thing that we should be first and foremost chasing are the things of God. But how many of you would raise your hand and acknowledge with me that sometimes you get sidetracked and you get kind of pulled away into some things that when you take inventory of your life, you say, what am I pursuing that for? It's kind of like sliding into the ditch in the snow. At our home, we have uh, we, we purchased a home in Greenville. We love it there. Can I say we love the Appleton area? We've been in the greater Green Bay and Appleton area for 20 plus years. We love it. It's, every, it's right where we want to live, except those stinking ditches at the end of my driveway. And they're about this high, okay? And so the first snowfall we got, I had gone to pick up a trailer to haul my leaves, and I was backing it into my driveway, and, and uh, the front end of my truck started to go into the ditch. And my neighbor pulled up, and he's watching. Now my manhood is like on trial, right? Can this guy, it, come on, guys, you know it's true. You feel like an idiot if you can't back this thing up. So my front end is sliding down into the ditch over the culvert. I flipped that thing into four-wheel drive and gunned it as fast as I could, and, and eventually I was able to get out of there, but let's just say there was a lot of mud flying, and sometimes that's how it is in our lives. We want to follow God, right? And we want him to be our greatest pursuit, but somewhere while we're backing up the trailer of life, we slide into a ditch. And we're somewhere where we never intended to be. In fact, if someone would have said to you years ago, this is what you're going to be pursuing, you would have said you're crazy. If you would have said to me, Dan, when you get home, 
You're going to go to that 20-foot wide driveway, and you're going to back your truck into the ditch. Worse than that, it was the front end that fell in the ditch. I would have said, no way, I can back up a trailer. But there I am in this figurative journey in the ditch. And sometimes that's what happens to us. You see, we're not perfect, but forgiven. Not perfect, but forgiven. And, and as we move forward today, I really want to highlight that. But have you ever wondered why we get pulled into these ditches? Why we end up in these places and pursue these things when we look back we really didn't want to pursue? Some people would say, well, maybe we don't take our faith seriously enough. Well, I think sometimes that could be true. But I think there's a more likely answer that fits most of us more commonly. And that would be found in 1 Corinthians 10. And it says that there's no temptation that's overcome you except that which is common to man. The struggle is real to get pulled into the ditch because we're people. Right now, it might be a little bit different. The ditch that you get pulled into might be a little bit different for what attracts your attention and what you pursue at a moment in your life than it is for me. But there's this struggle that's common to us simply because we're people. And the difference is that as Christ followers, we have an opportunity to get out of the ditch. We haven't, we, when, when we realize that we're off the beaten path that God has for us, we can get out of the ditch. In fact, he's actually given us the opportunity not to get in the ditch at all. He says, I will always give you a way out. And if we learn and grow, we avoid more and more of those pitfalls. Last week, we talked about chasing stuff, perfect message as we come into the Christmas season to evaluate some things. And today, we're going to talk about chasing comfort. And I know that that piggybacks a little bit on chasing stuff. We'll talk about that momentarily, but... I think you'll see that there's some additional information for us there. Human beings love comfort. In fact, I would say that what we spoke about last week, chasing our stuff, we chase stuff because what motivates us is really our comfort. Right? We even have a food group for comfort. What is it? Comfort food, right? My daughter, when she was in high school and early college, living at home, and, and she would say, Dad, I've had a bad day. She would text this to me. Dad, I've had a bad day, and, and I really need something comfort food tonight. Would you please cook? And I'm not exaggerating just because it's been deer season. Would you please cook venison and potatoes tonight for supper? Right? I need comfort. Now, you know what that says, and I would like to just highlight momentarily before I move on, men that were out there and didn't harvest anything this week, that means that I have. But moving on, uh, I, I hate to digress as I stick it in your eye. 
comfort food. We're all about comfort. My parents had a double bed. Okay, one of my friends and his wife can sleep in a twin bed. Are they crazy? Okay, my parents lived in a double bed until I was about a sophomore in high school. Then they got a king-sized waterbed with no baffles. And let me tell you, when your dad is trying to lecture you and you're sitting on the waterbed, it's a little hard to be serious, okay? <laughs> you know, okay, look at me when I'm talking to you, he says, well, I'm really trying. So most of my life, they had a double bed, or they had, yeah, a double bed. When we were making preparations to get married and we started to go look at a few furniture items, sofa and love seat that we had until we moved here, so 32 and a half years, we had that sofa and love seat. And also, we were talking about buying a bed, and then we went and picked it after we got married, and my wife was telling me, we're going to buy a queen-size bed. I was mad at her. I'm serious. I'm like, are you spoiled? My parents were in a double bed almost my whole life at home. Then we rent a hotel, right? And once in a while, you accidentally get a king, and you're like, Whoa, now I know what people are talking about. And then you rent a room with two queens. Tell me if anybody else does this. All of you who are deeply married or in love in your marriage. You rent a room with two queens and you, one person sleeps in one and one person sleeps in the other. Right? That's us. Hey, I want to be romantic once in a while, but when I'm sleeping, I don't want anybody touching me. My wife's the same way. I'm not kidding you. So now our house here is smaller than our house in Shano, but the bedroom is bigger. So to be more comfortable, we graduated into a king-size bed. I can't even hardly find her. I'm like, where are you in here? Two hobbits need a king-size bed. It's amazing. Come on. Comfort. We love comfort. Our purchases are all about our comfort, right? We go from an apartment to a starter home to a forever home. We say, oh, well, we're making money on those homes. I know you are. I'm, I'm, I'm not against having a better home. It's just my point that we're all about this comfort, and we feed it. We go from an okay car to a luxury sedan or SUV. Are you kidding me? My buddy drives a Suburban, his wife drives a Suburban, and he drives a Chevy High Country. I mean, right? Those are beautiful vehicles. It's about comfort. We can we buy the best that we can because it's comfortable. Although we get to have a king-size bed at our new house, our dishwasher stinks. It's so small. We're already saying we got to replace this dish. I take that back. She's saying we have to replace this dishwasher. I have one regardless, but moving right along. 
hey, we all have our jobs. I mow the lawn, I do, and I sometimes do the dishes, but that was intended to irritate a couple people. Anyway. So are you saying, Pastor Dan, it's wrong to be comfortable? No, I'm not. We talked last week about the fact that God has blessed us with many things and he wants us to enjoy those things. But it's when comfort becomes the goal that we start to have a problem. Do you know that comfort is the enemy of mission? Comfort is the enemy of mission. One of the, the, the greatest detractors to a, a successful church continuing to grow is their new comfort level. If anybody in this town should not be comfortable, it's us, right? We want to grow. But the challenge we will have when we do is not being comfortable and still wanting to reach more people. King Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 3.1, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. And he goes on in the next 14 verses or in the next verses to list 14 contrasting things. He says things like this, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time for war and a time for peace, a time to be born and a time to die. But when comfort when you only want to laugh, have peace, and see births, and see things grow, and all of that, when comfort is your main pursuit, you miss many providential things that God wants to do in your life because God does some of his best work when you are positively uncomfortable. I think two people liked it. God does some of his best work when you or I are positively uncomfortable. And so if comfort is our main goal, we will miss so much of what God wants to do. Because it's in the weeping, it's in the loss, it's in the lack of peace. That God has our attention usually to the greatest degree. And that he can really do something in our lives. It's kind of when he calls us to take up our cross. It's like when Paul says, hey, I discipline myself daily. We take up our cross and do these things and it's in those moments that we grow. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. We're going to process just a few things today out of that passage. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. It says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everyone in the world or excuse me, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. I'm wondering if anyone in the room right now is thinking to themselves, why does John say that? Because 
The Gospels say, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And now in 1 John, we see don't love the world. Don't love the world at all or the love of the Father is not even in you. Let me explain it to you. The word cosmos is the Greek word that's translated world in the New Testament, in the Greek language. There are three major uses. First John, or excuse me, John chapter 10, lists all three of those uses. John chapter 1 and verse 10. He was in the world, or the universe, and though the world was made through him, meaning the earth, the world did not recognize him or the sinful systems and fallen people of this world. So the word cosmos is translated into these three ways. We see all of them in John chapter 1 and verse 10. And so there's a differentiation. We have to, to understand what the Bible is saying. Of course, we love the fallen people, but we have to categorically reject the fallen systems of this world. There's, there's no two ways about it. If we choose to try and walk in both worlds, it's just not going to work. If we walk in the world, the love of the Father, or if we love the world, the broken systems of this world, the love of the Father is not in us. And so we reject this culture in so many, many ways, or should I say the fallen systems of our culture and we manage this tension between loving the people and rejecting the systems. But I was thinking of this this week. Why did John say this to us in the first place? Why did he say don't do this? It's because we have a propensity to do it. It's because we so easily give in to the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So John is saying, hey, guys, don't do this at all. I want to highlight three things. The first one is this. In verse 15, chasing comfort reveals spiritual emptiness. Do not love this world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. We live in a broken, fallen world. Some things, I, I, I like it when people say, and I'm going to meddle here just for a minute, but they say, oh, you shouldn't have loud music or do this or do that in church. <clears throat> we could never hold to doing church exactly how they did it, you know, in the New Testament, <laughs> right? And, and so there's so many ways that we haven't done church exactly the way they have for so long, you know. So the style of how a person does church is not good or bad. 
but it's the true things, the fallen systems of the world. We need every type of church, but whatever the style, whatever the thrust of that local congregation, what we should agree on is that we reject and we don't have a part of the brokenness of the world. Sometimes you fall and you say, Pastor Dan, how, how can I do this? I'm never going to be perfect. Let me explain it to you this way. When I was 10 years old, we had some friends who owned a pig farm. And after lunch one day, all of us kids went out and we were playing tag behind the pig barn. And the last thing my dad told us was, hey, behind the pig barn is pig stuff, okay? So stay away from there. So I've been told what's there. But in the midst of playing tag, I see someone come around the corner and I think to myself, she'll never see me if I run. And there's this hill, it's about, it's small, four or five feet high. If I get on the other side of that hill, she'll never see me and I'll be safe. So I take off running as long as my little twig, foot-long legs would, would let me run. And unfortunately, this was not a dirt pile. And as I get running into that muck, my legs get stuck, my boots come off, and I go spread eagle face and all. And let me tell you, when you break through the crust, it ain't the same underneath. <laughs> I'm out of there so fast, I, go, I run up to the door. Knock on the door. The lady says, you can't come inside. Bonnie, Bonnie, she's laughing. My mom comes to the door. She's laughing. I'm bawling. Go spray yourself off. She was so mean. I mean, I wanted some love. Maybe a hug would have helped. I don't know. Here's the deal. I had been told what was there. We're told about the systems of this world. And sometimes in the journey of life, we fall in, sometimes face first. But it's your response when you're there that lets you know where your heart is. If you want to get up and out of that and cleaned off as quickly as possible, that's the Spirit of God in your life. But if you say, it's not so bad here, then with the analogy, you're a pig. <laughs> right? They don't care where they are. But if the Spirit of God is in you and you find yourself in that moment or that situation, you want out of it as quickly as possible. You say, God, I, I, didn't mean, I don't know how I got here. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm moving on. So if that willingness to stay there is in you, then you have accepted the ways of the world. We'll come back to that in just a moment. The second thing is this. Chasing comfort is driven by selfish desires. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. 
I think those are interesting. Lust of the flesh is lust from within. Hebrews says every person sins when they are led away and enticed by what? Their own evil desires. There's something that lives within us. The lust of the eye is lust from without. The pride of life is a lust to look out for number one, to take care of me regardless of what's happening around the world, regardless of what's happening to those around me. And we're called to live counterculturally, not to give in to the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. We're called, Jesus says, if you want to save your life, lose it. You should serve rather than be served. The one who is first will be last, and the one who is last will be first. Countercultural living is what God calls us to. But we're so comfortable in these systems because before we came to Christ, we lived with them for so long. But Paul says, before Christ, you were these things, you lived this way, you lived in this system, but now that you have been following the Spirit, live as someone who follows the Spirit. Be transformed, don't don't live the same way. But it's so comfortable to give in to what's pleasing to the senses in our lives. You say, Pastor Dan, where's the... The limit in that. Well, I would say this worldliness is anything that begins to make godliness look abnormal. And make things that are ungodly to look normal. Did I say that correctly? So worldliness is when the systems of this world take something that's totally, I mean, a child could know that it's wrong. And they make it look normal. It's not normal. It's ungodly. It's just the broken system of our world. It makes ungodliness look normal and godliness look abnormal. If you start thinking in ways that, that say, okay, I, I, some of this is okay, <laughs> you're giving in to the systems of the world. The final point is this. Chasing comfort will never satisfy. The world, verse 17 says, the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. This is what that brought to my mind this week. And I've, this is, I've just heard this, okay? I don't know it for sure. This verse to me illustrates a late evening run to Dairy Queen for those who might do that. I don't, I don't know who they would be. But I've heard that some people get a craving for Dairy Queen. Maybe even a small blizzard, small Heath blizzard chocolate ice cream, extra Heath. That's what I've heard. 
they drive over there, not since they've lived in Appleton, but they drive over there at night hoping the person they work out with doesn't see them, eat it before they get home, love it till they're about two-thirds of the way done. Then they're like, what did I do that for? This is what they told me. It's gone. The pleasure is gone. It's, it's over. Now i got to live with the calories. That's kind of what this reminds me of. Like this world is going to pass away. Only the things of God are going to live on. Whatever we're involved in, only the things we do for Christ will last. The people we influence, the works that we do, not for the sake of works, but for the sake of Jesus Christ, right? Good attitude. That's all that will last. And I think there are going to be a lot of people sitting there at the end who say figuratively, I've been eating a blizzard all my life and now it's over. And now i got to live with this emptiness. Only theirs is going to be separation from God for eternity. Because all their lives they bought into what tasted good. I want to close with this powerful verse. In James 4.4. Don't you know that friendship with the world or finding comfort through your cravings would be another way to say it makes you an enemy of God not if you fall in the ditch and get out right we're not perfect but if you live a life pursuing comfort through your cravings the Bible would say, not me, that those of us in that situation are enemies of God. And you say, well, Pastor Dan, what about a believer? A person who's legitimately saved, but they're living in the ditch way longer than they should be. I would say, if that believer or those believers are in this room when we pray in just a minute, they should respond. We're going to give you a chance to get out of the ditch. Quit chasing comfort. The Spirit of God is here. So it's not about perfection. It's about not pursuing these things that make us comfortable, that are ungodly. I want you to close your eyes, bow your head. You're here today, and you are like the person I just said. There's an area of your life, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life that you have consistently been living in the ditch on. God wants to call you back on firm ground today. You're saved. But God wants to call you back on firm ground today. He wants to get your front ends set straight. 
I want to pray for you in just a minute, not by name, but I would like to know who I'm praying for. We've all been there at one time or another in our lives. You say, Pastor, today I'm going to recommit to not pursuing comfort in one or more of these areas, but pursuing the life God wants for me. Just raise your hand. I want to know who I'm praying for. Just raise it high. No shame in that. Others, raise it high. Lord, I pray for people today that are prompted by your spirit, not anything other than your spirit. You, your word is alive and active, and when we hear it, it does something in our hearts. So I pray for people today who are temporarily caught in a ditch. They're believers, but they're temporarily caught in a ditch, and you're calling them today to write the the ship to get the car going down the center of the road again. They're making commitments today with you as they sit there. I pray that you'd meet them in a powerful way. And I pray that you would speak to them after this service, tomorrow, bring this to their mind, day after day after day. Because change does not happen here The touch of God in our spirit happens here. The change happens out there. So, Lord, would you you help with that? And I feel prompted. You're here today and you say, Pastor Dan, I'm completely living after the cravings of my flesh because I've never surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And I'd like to pray for you, not by name. I just would like to to have your face in my mind as I pray. If that's you today, you say, Pastor Dan, remember me as you pray. Just raise your hand. I want to know who I'm praying for. God, I pray today that this church would be a place where more and more people come to faith where we see more and more life change and even that first step of people coming into a saving knowledge of Jesus. And then go through all of the other processes of change. We thank you, God, for for your life. We thank you for what you have given us, the ability to rise above, that, that we can live on mission, not just about comfort. So we pray that in your name. 